to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Mitch Bourbonnier has spent his life in service of others. As an educator and community activist in Winnipeg, he's made it his life's mission to help others find their voices. He's a founding member of the original Bear Clan Patrol, a volunteer at countless organizations, and an incredible mentor and counselor for at-risk youth to help them develop self-esteem, empathy, and confidence. Mitch received the Order of Manitoba in 2020, the Governor General Award for Bravery in 2019, and dozens of other awards and accolades for his work in the areas of mental health, social justice, and community support. To not go insane, I must believe that good will triumph. I have to, like, otherwise what's the use, right? And so I'm gonna grind it out and I'm gonna try to, you know, lead by example. I'm gonna try and be a role model. Uh, When I have a chance, I'll try to, you know, change some perceptions in other folks. I sat down with Mitch Bourbonnier to talk about how COVID has affected the most vulnerable among us, how to create and maintain an equitable society, and how he's been able to stay positive and energetic throughout his decades long career. Mitch Bourbonnier, welcome to the Because and Effect podcast. Uh, it's great to have you here. I'm very happy to be here, Nolan. Thank you. So as educator, community activist, one of the founding members of the original Bear Clan Patrol, I was looking you up uh, you know, a day or two ago in, in anticipation of talking to you, um, and it is incredible. The amount of accolades, the amount of volunteerism that you do, it's honestly too much to even name. Uh, uh, you got the Order of Manitoba last year, which is very cool, the... Uh, Joe Zukin Citizen Activist Award as well. So my first question, I want to go back to 2006. Um, You got the award for the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society for the Hero of Mental Health Award. And that struck me because 2006, how we uh, approached mental health and being a hero of mental health in 2006 was a lot different than what, how we approached mental health in 2020 and 2021. So I want you to just talk a little bit about your approach to mental health in 2006, if you can go back that 15 years ago and remember what it was like versus sort of how the approach to mental health um, has changed in in, in the last 15 years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And I agree with you, Nolan. I do believe uh, stigmatization and just generally talking about mental health has has really improved. Uh, It's by far not gone far enough. Like we obviously need Uh, to continue to evolve and develop our notion of mental health and mental illness. But certainly in the last 15 years, there's been lots of progress. So back in 06, uh, well, you asked me what my uh, perception approach has been with mental health overall. Uh, I come by it honestly. Uh, So as a little boy, uh, I had a psychiatrist. I had a psychologist. I had a social worker. I was on medication. Uh, So I was a consumer of mental health services as a little guy. Uh, Then in my early career, uh, starting at 22 years old in 1985, 86, I started working at a psychiatric hospital for youth called the Manitoba Adolescent Treatment Center and worked there for 18 years, uh, learning mostly from the kids and the families uh, what mental health and mental illness was all about. And then lo and behold, uh, uh, my, my first son actually was diagnosed with schizophrenia about 15 years ago, right around that time. So between being a little boy consumer of mental health, 
uh, working in a psychiatric hospital for kids for 18 years and then being a, a father and a family member to someone with schizophrenia, it's always been super near and dear to my heart, mental health and mental illness. Wow. Incredible. I mean, yeah, looking at your accolades and, and just sort of the plethora of things that you focus on, focus your efforts on is, is very impressive. Where does the passion come from? Have you always been like, I got to help? I got to, you know, I got to help people out. Has that always been a thing that was sort of top of mind for you? Yeah, kind of. I, uh, uh, I, I, I'm still quite legitimately ADHD. So I have, uh, you know, tons of energy. Uh, even in, into my old age here, and I'm always needing to be moving and doing things and being involved in things and many, many things all at the same time. So I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, you know, I, I, I embrace that. And uh, uh, basically what happened to me is as a little boy, I had so much trouble uh, with behavior and, and, and uh, learning disabilities and psychiatry uh, that I, di I didn't feel very good about myself. And uh, we're going to get into this later, I'm sure. But what probably saved me was volunteerism because mm -hmm. I, I started at a young age. I had the opportunity uh, to volunteer at Rossberg House in 1979. And Beautiful. I just it it was my medicine, Nolan. Uh, and, and it has been ever since. What I a consistent thing that I talk to with people through this podcast, it's usually people in the charitable sector and everybody says what they gain from volunteering is way more than what they put in you know when 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 it comes to being able to give back to the community it just it it enriches your life so much so maybe just talk did, did your parents sort of encourage volunteering or, or how did you get started at such a young age and why well i'm glad you reminded me about my parents because actually they were they were warriors out there they uh and back then in the in the 60s and 70s it was it was more church related uh, so my dad, like he did so much uh, for our parish community, but also for newcomers. Uh, I would, you know, I'd be seven, eight years old. I'd be accompanying my dad in the old jalopy truck, uh, picking up furniture and household goods for uh, new Canadians coming into our parish. So I, I come by, by it quite honestly. My mom's a teacher. She and one of those teachers that, you know, went the extra mile with students. She was on the phone with her students in the evenings and weekends trying to help them and tutor them. So uh, definitely come from that kind of background. Awesome. Yeah, I can only imagine like the plight of the teacher in 2020 and 2021 when you have to be over Zoom and all this crazy. How are you handling this new uh, world that we've been in? How has it affected your work and, and how has it changed sort of how you're able to connect with the community? Well, I like to say that on March 20th, uh, 2020, uh, when everything got shut down, uh, for about 20 minutes, I was absolutely unemployed, without income, uh, with no prospects for about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, so what happened, my whole world uh, uh, changed because I was teaching university. I was flying up north uh, to Fox Lake uh, to spend time with those folks. Uh, I was doing something called action therapy, which is really hands-on in the community, volunteerism. I was doing mama bear. Uh, like everything I was involved in got canceled, got shut down. And uh, there was a few organizations that approached me that needed help because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, several doors closed, a couple doors open. And I've, I've actually, I don't really want to say this, but I've really enjoyed my pandemic time, like, you know, in a way. Uh, I, I understand people have, have died and suffered and, you know, the loneliness and the mental health. And I've had a little bit of that, too. Uh, but I've also uh, been able to shapeshift my career. Uh, and it's really dovetailed well with my age going into 
you know, the, the, the latter bit of my career here. So uh, what happened is Mount Carmel Clinic picked me up. Uh, uh, Edmund Partridge School picked me up. Uh, the North End uh, Community Resort, NERC, uh, picked me up. Uh, and it was all about uh, serving people in terms of basic needs. So I, I was like, I, 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 it, it was kind of a retirement job. Like I went from, <laughs> I went from some pretty uh, high level in intervention stuff right on the street to actually like just like delivering medication, uh, mm. delivering traditional medicine, delivering food, getting people closed, getting people to appointments. Like, like I became like an uncle to the community. Like it's been great. I've actually really, really enjoyed it. And I thank Mount Carmel and NERC for that. And it's just back to the basics almost, right? I think yeah, what, totally. what I've definitely been grappling with or not necessarily struggling with because I I have luckily a lot of um, safety nets in place when it comes to the basics and stuff but it really is making me reflect on what I've taken for granted over the years you know even just going out for beers with the boys or you know things that I never really understood how valuable they were to my mental health until it was taken away. And when you think about just, you know, being able to call a friend or being able to go go for coffee with a friend and things like this getting taken away. So just returning to the basics of, of human connection and human need. How have you seen um, the community evolve and sort of just pivot and figure out a way to to deliver these basic human connection moments and necessities in this crazy time? Like... Obviously, you've been able to kind of connect with people in certain ways, but how, how is the community responding when, it, when it's such a tumultuous and crazy time out there just to get the basics out to people? Well, I, I, you know, I would just want to remind everybody that there's folks that are really suffering right now, like with the isolation and, uh, you know, the spaces they can't go into anymore and the connections that have been severed. And I'm really worried. I'm really worried for a lot of folks. Uh, I have seen some kind of neat little things, though. Uh, one is uh, my messaging and my telephone is off the hook with people who want skates right now. Like, you know, and of course you can't buy anything right now. So every, like, you know, all my families, like, you know, it's one thing to make sure they've, that they've got food and, and all their basic needs met. But right now I'm, I'm, I'm actually just super busy running around getting ice skates for people that would normally never do that. So, uh, and I, and, and, I think one thing that's been really helpful is the weather. Like, like, mm. can you imagine <laughs> mm -hmm. like the pandemic, the shutdown and minus 40 for the last two months? Like I, I it's mind boggling. Yeah. So, so with the weather, there's been a lot of people going outside, uh, you know, walking the trails and uh, bicycling and, uh, you know, ice skating at the, at the river trail. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, there is a lot of opportunity for, for connection and for good and for reconnecting with nature and all those things. One thing I'm pretty um, concerned about is, is elder care in these times. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your relation to, you know, taking care of our elders and how do you think um, our general population has been when it comes to focusing on our elders and what they need and staying connected with them? And, you know, another part of it is allowing our elders to take care of us in a way. You know, I think a lot of times the North American approach is we have to take care of our elders, but a lot of times we can learn a lot and take a lot, you know, we can allow them to take care of us as well. Maybe just speak to speak to your approach in elder care when it comes to COVID and, and just in general as well. Yeah, and uh, great question. And I think uh, COVID has also shone a light 
on our relationship with our elders. And uh, I think, I think, you know, on the negative side, I think we've seen how awful uh, some of our elders have been treated. They've been lost and forgotten and, uh, and physically and emotionally not taken care of. So I think uh, that there's, that's been exposed. So uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but uh, my work personally has shifted. Uh, so I, one of my organizations that I work with is OPK. OPK is partly funded by the United Way. So it was that time of year where we needed to, uh, you know, look at our stats and everything. And uh, the average age of who I work with out there has really increased. So uh, I'm still working with young people and with families and whatnot, but there's been a whole other demographic that I, I've been uh, connected to during the pandemic, which has been awesome. And, and uh, you know, I spent most of the weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, like uh, delivering hampers to, to just elders. And uh, some of the elders I met were incredible. They have incredible histories, incredible stories. They're resilient. Like so, some of the folks I met with were, you know, into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and, uh, you know, socially distant and with masks on, we could share uh, beautiful moments on the doorstep. And uh, so I think I have a new appreciation for our elders and what they can teach us. And, and uh, I just love them. Just love for our sure. elders. Beautiful. Well, it's got to be so hard when, when the news is just all you hear is another, you know, 70 plus person. You know, th this, this disease is proportion disproportionately devastating for our elder population. So like, are, are you getting a general sense that there's a higher anxiety, obviously, but I mean, how are, how are people generally handling it, handling it when you're going door to door and connecting with them is how, how are they keeping their spirits up? If, if you don't mind me asking. Well, I think just little visits like that mean the world to them. It's a like good mm -hmm. medicine. Uh, I've had people just light up and as they light up, they light me up. Like, and, and, you know, what you said at the beginning of this podcast that, uh, you know, you get more out of what you're giving. And I've certainly uh, received more uh, than what I've been giving during this pandemic, especially with the elders. That's been a, like a newfound uh, 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 gift for me. Uh, but I think they're hanging in there and just it doesn't take much. You know, I, I, I make phone calls. I send messages. You know, I do the, the, the door curbside wave and, and, you know, deliver what I need to deliver at the door. And they're, they're super appreciative and, and they know that we're still thinking of them. Yeah, just reach out and stay connected. Hey, obviously, some are, yeah, some are a lot more um, comfortable with technology and stuff. I've done a few Zoom calls with, with friends and family. And it's pretty interesting to see, you know, people get it like, hello, am I on? Can you hear me? And it's pretty, it's pretty adorable as well. Um, I, I, I would love to talk about... Um, the men's group that you men's healing group that you started out of North Point Douglas. Um, what was the impetus for that? How did it get started? And what was the like inspiration to start a men's group uh, talking about some pretty heavy stuff? Yeah, about five years ago, I was approached by the North Point Douglas Women's Center, which is a safe space for women. Uh, and I was really, really honored and, and, and quite frankly, astounded that uh, they would want my input as, as a male. Uh, you know, we have a history of men not treating women uh, properly and, and actually abusively. So, um, and there's a need, there's a need for these uh, women's centers and for them to approach me and say, Mitch, we, we want to start a men's group. Mm. We need your help, uh, you know, to develop this and lead this. Uh, our men need to heal. So we have, we have daughters, we have wives, we have mothers who want their men, you know, to, to do well. And so five years ago, in the woman's center, they like they open up their sacred space to us. Imagine the trust. Imagine the forgiveness that that takes. 
and it was not lost on the men. The men who came 30 strong week after week after week for the last five years up until the pandemic, it was not lost on them, like the, the power of being invited into their space. And, and, and they had meals prepared for us. Oh, like wow. it was almost too, it was almost too much. <laughs> uh, but we sat in circle, we smudged, we sang, we cried, we laughed. We talked about being better men. We talked about our relationships with our own dads. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about being dads. We talked about being partners. We talked about every subject under the sun. Uh, but we also wanted to do more as men we decided to also go into the community and do something called lateral empathy lateral kindness where folks in the same boat instead of turning on one another actually help and support one another one thing i'm really proud about with that men's group is that it spawned several other men's groups mm. and pretty much uh before the shutdown there was somewhere for a man to go every night of the week so we had we had a, a couple of nights at the thunderbird house mount carmel clinic uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the chiefs, the uh, assembly of uh, Manitoba chiefs had a, a men's night. Wow. Uh, it was happening all over the place, and it's still happening. And we all kind of uh, we're, we're kind of a community of helpers now. And there's a men's movement. There's a synergy right now. And it got a little derailed with COVID, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's it's not going anywhere. Well, it's a it's kind of hard. I mean, you you spoke about you 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 explain the context of things fairly well because there are a lot of traumatic experiences that men sort of impose upon women but there's also a lot of traumatic experiences that are imposed upon men you know there's there's drug abuse addiction gangs all these sort of things that you're trying domestic violence sexual exploitation um all of these things can be linked with trauma right and what so let's talk a little bit about trauma and how you've probably been dealing with trauma for decades now and, and helping people through their trauma. So I think as if there's anyone that could be considered an expert in it, you're probably high on the list. So just maybe generally speak about how you've approached um, other human beings and community members who have gone through trauma or are currently going through trauma and, and how have you helped them through those experiences? Uh, for sure. Uh, I, I believe that nothing can happen without relationship. Mm. Uh, how does relationship happen? That relationship ha- has to happen where uh, the narrative has changed for people because people have uh, have been hurt. They've been wounded. They've been um, they, they don't trust. Right. And so to get through that woundedness, to get through that mistrust, to make yourself valuable to another u- human being uh, that is hurting and needs something, but yet is pushing away. Uh, takes tremendous amount of relationship building, safety, and trust. Uh, and basically being trauma-informed, understanding not to take things personally when when people turn on you, because that'll mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. when you're trying to help folks and be supportive for folks that have been traumatized. Uh, you know, like I, I do a lot of tra- uh, uh, trauma-informed training, and I actually tell teachers and social workers and, and police officers you know, actually, uh, don't take anything personally. Take it as a, uh, actually, take it as a compliment if someone's letting it all hang out with you, because that means they feel that you're big enough and strong enough to handle their hurt and their pain and their anger, uh, and it's what they need at the time, right? Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on, Nolan, just before is when we were talking about the men's group. Uh, a really cool thing that's happened is a breakthrough in what we call uh, toxic masculinity. So uh, men have been taught uh, not to cry. Men have been taught not to reach out. Men have been taught not to say, I love you. Well, we do all of those things. And if you took a visual of our actual men's group, uh, 
we, we look rough. Like I'd be probably the most dainty looking guy in that group. Uh, and uh, we're all big, uh, rough guys that at this point tell each other, love you, bro, love you, brother, you know, um, and, and, and we're taking that out into our families and into the community. We're showing love, we're expressing love, we're crying and we're asking for, and, and that's also part of that trauma, healing from trauma as well is changing the narrative. Well, because it's the narrative has been programmed for generations. I mean, my upbringing was, you know, you're fine. Get up. You're fine. You know, I mean, I had great, wonderful parents, but played a lot of sports growing up, was on a lot of teams. And there is that toxic masculinity element of things where you're you're almost conditioned that vulnerability and love and showing, you know, emotion is a weakness. And in reality, it's actually a strength. So how have you, how do you approach deprogramming first or, you know, like re, you know, there's decades upon decades of this generational programming in our brains. Now, how do you approach the first deprogramming aspect of that toxic masculinity to then open up for the, for the emotional sort of outbursts? I believe role modeling and mentorship for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, and if I'm leading the group, it starts with me and, uh, you know, I probably shed a tear every week with the guys, you know, about something that's going on in my life. And uh, I've had the fellows tell me, you know, I would not have opened up if you hadn't opened up and mm-hmm. you showed me that that, 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 that is possible. You know, I want that. Right. And then, uh, and then it's just not me that's leading now. We've, you know, like we've created other leaders. And so it, it's just, it's just expanding. And Beautiful. there's a lot of, there's a lot of good uncles out there. Yeah. Lead by example. You have to do that for sure. Right. I mean, I'm 35 years old now and it's only been the last couple of years that I realized, oh, crying's actually good. Like it actually feels good to cry before I would, I would avoid crying at all costs. And I would panic if I was like, oh, I'm going to start crying. I can't, can't let anyone see this. I can't, you know, I don't want this to be an outward expression. And I've recently met some wonderful people who have helped guide me through, you know, actually, you know, it's good to have a cry. It feels good. And that, that deprogramming has had, has taken a long time to kind of, because I still get panicked and I still, I I just have that training of like, don't cry. You're fine. You, You can handle this. You can do anything. You don't need anyone's help. And all these things that I've been taught like either uh, like um consciously or subconsciously and it's just weird to kind of now learn oh it actually feels pretty good like this so uh, i i mean you mentioned the the group of you know rough and tumble looking guys but what is it like for you when you see someone who is maybe arms crossed not really wanting to participate eyes down that eventually i'm sure sort of comes out of their shell and, and and now becomes a leader or tell me how do you feel when you see these 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 victories uh, victory is the perfect word, Nolan. Uh, and I've seen it over and over and over again. And, and actually I internally smile when I see the crossed arms and the head down because mm-hmm. I know what's going to come. And, uh, I have so much faith, uh, because I've seen it over and over and over again, the victories. Uh, so yeah, for sure. You seem like a very optimistic person. Help. I, I, I'm trying my best to be optimistic in these times when it comes to, um, discussing, social ills with friends and family members and and how do you deal with the negative talk and the negative sort of opinions of ah they they should just figure it out themselves and you know pull themselves up by their bootstraps and that mentality how how do you respond to that and how do you feel when you hear it uh i hear it a lot and i don't 
tend to uh, get in a power struggle with folks. You know, it's, it's not my job to change anybody's mind, but it is my job to speak up and offer alternative thoughts about what they're thinking uh, in a gentle but powerful way. And I don't think you can change people's minds without touching them emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stories I share uh, are heart-wrenching. And just sharing a few heart-wrenching stories, uh, it, 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 it almost forces people to say, oh, yeah, okay, well, I didn't really consider that, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, being a, 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 originally a good Catholic, <laughs> uh, I, use a, I use a little bit of guilt to change people's uh, perceptions on it, others. It's a powerful force. I can definitely agree with that. I mean, you're obviously subjecting yourself, too, to a lot of traumatic stories, and, and you know, people are sharing their traumas with you. How are you staying uh, mentally well, and how, what do you do to kind of make sure that you're not getting, you know, too burdened by any sort of negativity? Uh, I think having a uh, just a warm, safe uh, home fire to mm. go back to, like to be loved and protected in. I have that. I have a nest. I have a place where no one can touch me. I'm safe there. Beautiful. Uh, surrounded, yeah, surrounded by family. And that's what I try to promote for others, right? Uh, and, and uh, yeah, there's things that uh, I do just for myself, uh, whether it's, you know, getting the motorbike out in the spring and summer, you know, uh, actually, a lot of the things uh, that um, I do for entertainment or self-care kind of got taken away with pandemic. Mm. You know, I'm, a, I'm I love going to comedy. I love going to, you know, Bombers and Jet and Goldeye games. And, uh, you know, I really miss the Folk Fest this year. Uh, I'm involved in a Sundance ceremony every summer that we didn't have this year. So there was a bunch of stuff that I usually do for self-care that just wasn't there. Uh, so like others, I've had to reconnect with nature. I've had to re reconnect with uh, people. Like I've reached out to so many people and so many people have reached out to me uh, during these last 10 months. So that's been pretty cool too. It's that connection and community. That's another thing I think a lot of people take for granted. You know, I'm you're, you're on a hockey team, you're on a volleyball team, you, you know, you have all these opportunities for community connection. And when that gets taken away, you now realize, oh, wow, I, this is something that I really took for granted. It's really integral and important to my mental health and well-being. And now I have to figure out ways to adapt and still get that experience, but maybe through, you know, a Zoom chat or whatever it may be. So how are, are you using technology more or how are you trying to stay connected with, uh, with the community? Uh, I'm not a big social media guy. The only uh, social media that uh, I have is Instagram. It's Mitch underscore B underscore official. If anyone wants to follow me, um, but uh, I'm not on Facebook. Uh, there's, you know, like anything, there's a positive and a, a shadow side to everything. And uh, for me, it's it would be too much energy to be on Facebook. But I do have the Messenger app on my iPhone, and I've I've joined so many different chat groups uh, during these 10 months and they're all different. They're all like different groups of people. So, you know, I've got my sports buddies, you know, and I got my socially, my social justice warriors. And I've got like, I've got all my different uh, chat groups and uh, pretty much every night I'm responding and being funny and, uh, you know, joining in on the conversation with everybody. It's all about sharing the memes, you know, 2020 and yeah. 2021 are all about sharing the memes with your crews. Cause that's love, the love only the thing, memes. that's the only thing keeping us sane. Something oh my God. So, some of the memes that came out of the, uh, the horrible situation that happened in the States last week. Uh, like it's like, if you're not laughing, you're crying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like just, just, I'm sorry to, 
do this, but like just to, to poke fun at some of the folks that did what they did last week was actually healing for me and some of my folks and some of my uh, chat groups. Yeah, it's so, well, it's so egregious and so beyond the pale that you have to mock it because otherwise you'll go insane like completely so yeah, I've, sure. I've had i've had a little healing that way this this with technology over the pandemic when you see the divide the cultural divide that's now bubbling bubbled to the surface and now people are starting to really see the disparity between the haves and the have-nots um how do you think that this is all going to play out like not necessarily in the States, but maybe just in our communities where people are starting to realize like there's a two tiered system of uh, existence and some people have access and some people don't. So how, are, how is this all going to shake out? To not go insane, I must believe that good will triumph. I have to. Like otherwise, what's the use? Right. And so I'm going to grind it out and I'm going to try to, you know, lead by example. I'm going to try and be a role model. Uh, when I have a chance, I'll try to, you know, change some perceptions in other folks. Uh, I got a little bit excited at the start of the pandemic because I thought, okay, here it is, the great equalizer, right? Like we're all equal in the eyes of the, of, of this virus. Uh, but as the pandemic has played out, it's actually been the opposite. We've seen that, uh, that you know, the, the void between the haves and have-nots have become greater. Uh, there were single parents that literally could not shop for Christmas gifts this year. Never mind like poverty. Uh, they don't have a credit card. They don't have curbside. They don't have a vehicle to pick up at Walmart. Uh, they had like, it was, it really hit me this Christmas. Uh, I had a lot of really good donors that uh, mustered up a ton of uh, toys and Christmas gifts for, for, for us to distribute this, this Christmas. And I literally had moms and dads weeping with relief uh, because poverty is one issue, but access is another issue. When you don't have a credit card, when you don't have a vehicle, it's, it, and, and, and you can't, you know, you can't shop during the pandemic. When you don't have Wi-Fi, when you don't have a, you know, a smartphone or whatever, like, there's so many things that even I take for granted for sure. And I'm realizing shopping that, online yeah. and curbside and all yeah. of that, like, like opening up the thrift shops was unbelievably awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Whoever thought that one up. Mm -hmm. Very important for sure. I want to drill down. You mentioned sort of when I asked about your own self-care routine and you talked about you had you have a good fire burning at home. And I loved in your bio, it, it said that in multiple, uh, for multiple organizations and in multiple contexts, you you were the fire keeper. You kept the fire. I want to ask you, what what does it mean uh, to keep to keep a fire? And when it comes to that honor bestowed upon someone, how, how do you how do you feel when you're asked to do that? Well, uh, in the indigenous um, community, uh, fire is, uh, is a, a huge symbol of home and safety and survival, as is water, you know, as is air, as is earth. Uh, but, uh, you know, a home fire is so important uh, in terms of the symbolism around safety. And at every gathering, at every important function, uh, there's going to be uh, at least a little fire burning somewhere, but someone has to look after that fire. And there's a teaching in looking after that fire. There's a responsibility. Um, you know, we talked about the Internet and it, it being, you know, a, a great tool, but also a great evil. Uh, and actually fire and water teaches us that. 
you know, fire uh, warms us, lights our room, cooks our, our meals, but fire can also destroy us. Water, you know, nourishes us, uh, bathes us. We travel on water. Water can take out a village, right? So it's just a, it's just a reminder how uh, nature can teach us uh, the value of, of uh, walking that fine line between uh, light and shadow. Very well said. Yeah, I love that teaching. And I think it's very important for people to kind of expand their horizons a little bit to, to different schools of thought, for sure. Um, so at the end of our time together, we do a little segment called Just Because, where it's the same seven questions. We talk about the causes you care about, why you care about them, and, and how that came to be. Are you okay to do that for us? Yeah, and you are such a good conversationalist that we kind of covered what I thought my answers were going to be. Oh, really? Well, that, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's that's a good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can we can dig I will, deeper. I will ad lib. I will exactly. We'll drill down here. Sounds so fire good. away, Nolan. Great. So, question one is: What is the very first cause you even remember? You, even if you can go go back to childhood, what's the first cause you ever remember giving a hoot about? I would say uh, domestic violence. Oh, yeah. Okay. As a little boy, just uh, you know, um, already starting to think about the role men and, and women play with each other and and the safety of homes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other one was uh, just um, uh, Indigenous youth. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a chance in 1979 at 16 years old to volunteer at Rossbrook House, and it changed my life. I still have a relationship with Rossbrook. Uh, cool. But that's what kind of set set me off on my journey. Yeah, well, uh, Phil Phil Kiapetta was our last uh, love Phil person on that podcast. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, awesome. Question two: If money and politics and logistics were no issue at all for you, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen in support of your current cause. What what would that wish be, or what would that thing be? Space. So mm -hmm. we've got empty buildings in Winnipeg. <sighs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So if money is no object. Uh, the Masonic temple that used to be mother Tucker's right downtown. We've got people in bus shacks. Like I can look out. I'm downtown right now. I can look out. I'm, I'm looking out my window and there are people sleeping in bus shacks. Thank goodness. It's not a brutal winter so far. Right. Th there are no spaces. And especially with the pandemic, uh, you know, libraries are no longer accessible. Restaurants no longer accessible. Drop-in centers, shelter. People have nowhere to go. Uh, the, our bus shelters are, are, and not just downtown, but across the city, are filled with folks that need space and need support and need uh, love and guidance, right? So we got all these empty buildings. Like on the news last night, uh, there was an empty apartment block at the corner of Morley and Osborne. People want something done with it. It just sits empty year after year after year. We have space. Those buildings are heated. Otherwise, they'd fall apart. So they're heated. You know, why can't we use that? And then and, 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 and it, it, it helps with employment. Like we, we can employ and train a ton of people uh, to, uh, to to write the ship. I think and I hope that after this all shakes down and the pandemic is we're through to the other side, that our relationship with space uh, shifts because we do not need to have thousands of offices and thousands, you know, like all this space that we spend and, you know, rent and all these things that I go from here to there, go to the office, then go to here. And there's people that don't even have a bed, you know, or right. a, 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 a roof above their house. And we have like four different places that I can work from. It's like, okay, we don't, we need to, we need to adjust our, our approach to how uh, we use and think about space when people don't even have enough to, to shelter themselves. Yeah. 
Beautifully said, Nolan. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about your cause? You alluded to it, uh, the narrative people have, that it's basically their fault where they find themselves. Uh, not understanding that, uh, you know, generational woundedness, uh, abuse, terror. Uh, some of the stories I could share with people about what some of the folks I work with have gone through is torture and terrorism is what they've been through. Uh, throw in, you know, uh, uh, brain issues, throw in addiction, throw in mental illness, throw in trauma, throw in discouragement, throw in racism. And, and this is what we get. People don't choose to sleep in a bus shack. That is not a choice. Yeah. And I, I love the metaphor of, you know, when you, when you line up for a race, usually everyone's at the same starting point. And when you start to think about the context of some people have to start 20 meters behind you that just for the start of the race. And if you think that everyone is, is coming from the same place and everyone can make it and this and that, it, I think it's, we're starting to educate people a little bit more, but it's still, uh, there's a long way to go when it comes to people understanding that not everyone even has the same starting point in life. Right? Equity versus equality. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. No, this is great. Uh, question four, what's a time in your life where you had to pivot because plan A wasn't working out, so you had to switch over to plan B? I mentioned already, March 20th, 2020. Like, like literally everything I was involved in got shut down. Uh, I sat there for 20 minutes <laughs> and, then the, and, then, and then the phone rang. And, and my wife, Linda, said, you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, for someone like you, that's so willing and energetic and just like, it's, well, I was reading a story that you jumped into a river to save someone as well. Is that true? That, yeah, that happened a few years back. Like the world is always going to need people who, who just act before, you know, oh, I act before help. I think. That's well, no, that, sure. yeah, yeah, but someone needs help. I'm going to help them. You know, that's the world needs more people like that. Uh, question five, what is the best advice that you've ever been given? Uh, this is a meme from uh, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Anthony, uh, I've, I've never had to um, uh, involve myself in 12-step. Uh, fortunately, I've not had to do that. Uh, but I have visited many, many, many meetings with people. And there's great messaging in, in the 12-step mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and Anthony Hopkins, the, the famous actor who did Silence of the Lambs, uh, comes from that background. He is a long, long time 12-step person. Uh, he had a really nice quote that I try to uh, follow, and it goes like this. Uh, accept everything. Accept it. Accept that it's happening. Accept everything. Expect nothing. Right? And it just frees you up. Um, someone also, uh, as an exercise, once told me, try not defending yourself for 24 hours. It is so liberating. Yeah. I can. Oh, man. Yeah, no kidding. I like, I really like that advice as well, though. Accept everything. I think that's a good approach to, um, and it's sort of counterintuitive, but when you have anxiety about something, normally the approach is to deny it and just push it away. And I'll think about that later. And I don't want to deal with that and blah, blah, blah. But accepting that in and just, okay, why am I anxious right now? Let's, let's explore this. Let's like experience it. Let's live in the anxiety a little bit. I think that it seems counterintuitive, but for me personally, at least it's, it's really helped me work through some things that I might've been uh, apprehensive to actually delve into. And now I'm actually, okay, why am I 
anxious about that. Like, accept it. Let's let's live in this for a while. Yeah. And that's mindfulness, right? Live in the mm. moment. You know, get through this. It's not it's not uh, one day at a time. It's one moment at a time. Very well said. I think that might be the first um, the first question or the first answer to that question that was a meme so congratulations 50 plus episodes and you're the first meme i love it <laughs> so uh question six is also about advice but what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you could talk to him right now yeah i love this question and definitely i would have given myself this uh advice at 10 years old because i have regrets uh so the advice is uh don't talk yourself out of any opportunity that you might not ever get again because mm. i look back and and i'll give you an example nolan uh uh so my dad died at 64 18 years ago and i had a chance uh i'll probably get emotional here but i had a chance uh my brother set up a a, a vacation for the three of us just to go away and i was working and things were tight and you know I, another time another time and of course, you know, my dad died shortly after that. Mm. And I'll, I'll forever regret that I just didn't take that moment, you know, For and sure. it, because, because you can talk yourself out of it, you know, like financially, blah, blah. I could, I could have taken that trip and I'd still be sitting here talking to you, but I would have had that memory and I would have had that experience. Yeah, so sure. yeah, don't, don't, don't talk yourself out of stuff that, uh, that you can never get back. Yeah. I think it comes... Yeah, that's great. It's fantastic advice. And I think that's such a common theme with people's life. Like there's a million and one reasons not to do something, right? Right. And, and we're, we're such a culture of like, ah, you know, I can do it later or I'll do it another time or I don't need to or whatever the case is. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. That's, that's beautiful. Uh, the last question is uh, usually the hardest one. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? This isn't hard. Oh, really? Good. Yeah. Okay. Three things hard work, like work hard. I love it. I'm so proud to work hard. That's prayer for me. Mm. As I work hard, that is prayer. Like I love it. I love being a beast. I love just grinding hard. Yeah. yeah. yeah grinding, grinding, uh, compassion, compassion. And thirdly balance, mm. right? Like I, I just, I often just find myself right down the middle on most issues. I see both sides. I understand both sides, but there's gotta be some sort of uh, answer down the middle. I don't, I, I, extremism doesn't work with me. That's, a, that's something I think about a lot nowadays because you're seeing, you know, you talk about social media, you don't see the balanced perspective. That's not what gets play in that medium, right? It, it's usually the fringes that, and the loudest people that sort of get the most, um, play for, for whatever reason. But how are how do you, how do you how do you stay sane in a world where you just hear the fringes arguing when you're sort of sitting and being like you you both want the same things you just want to be happy healthy protected safe keep your friends you know in good standing but the perspectives are just so extreme yeah when i'm asked for my input i'll I'll bring perspective to it all and i think that's what uh, uh indigenous elders are known for is like just wisdom just guys here is what it really is and just bring they just bring it all together and i love that gift and and uh, you know i i see myself heading into that direction where when called upon i will bring perspective i will bring balance uh uh to the people well you're one of 
the wisest people I've ever spoken with. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our audience of, or at the Winnipeg Foundation about? What are you working on? What, where can people find out more information? Well, uh, I want to thank the Winnipeg Foundation. I want to thank the board members and, and the worker bees, yourself, all the folks that uh, make it all work. Because uh, not everybody can be on the front lines, and that's okay, right? It's just not possible. Uh, I'm a front line guy, you know, boots to the street. I'm out there. I'm interacting. Uh, I'm Sometimes I feel like Robin Hood. Like so many people give to me so that I could give to others. I end up kind of being a hero with the folks out there. But meanwhile, there's so many people backing me in terms of, uh, uh, do, you know, donations of, of water, of clothing, of food, uh, it, it it never ends, and I love it. And and the Winnipeg Foundation is of that, you know, bent of just hey, what do you need? You know, the answer is yes. What's the question? Yeah, exactly. I lo- I love it. So, so miss you, and 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 I want to hang out with you, man. You're you're Let's awesome. You're, you have a great. You're a great conversationalist, and it's. I, I could riff off you all day, man. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I <laughs> The same. Like, you just have a good energy, and uh, the world needs more good energy in it, for sure. We should grab a coffee. We gr- can grab a coffee or go for a walk at the Forks. Or do you, If you got skates, I'll go for a skate. <laughs> I'm working on it. Okay, great. Uh, so, MitchBurbonier.com and Mitch underscore B underscore... Official. Official on Instagram. Yeah, that awesome. was my daughter's idea. Well, it's good. It's good to just share. Honestly, how I've been approaching social media is that I I use it to create real, sorry, not real, but I use it to connect or at least set up opportunities for connection in, in, you know, quote unquote, real life. So I think that's a good way to use it, right? Like if you're connecting with people with the end game of, hey, let's go for coffee or let's, you know, go for a skate or whatever. I'm glad we have it. I I couldn't imagine what, how we would have done actually without it through the pandemic, right? A hundred percent. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Uh, Be well, take care, and we'll talk soon. Right on, brother. Thank you, Mitch, uh, for speaking with me today. Mitch Bourbonnier, incredibly uplifting guy with a tremendous passion for improving the lives of others. And it was lovely to meet Mitch and get to know him just a little bit over this last almost hour of conversation. If you enjoyed this episode of the Because and Effect podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Um, Thank you, of course, for listening. I really appreciate your time. I know these days there's so much to uh, listen to to as far as content is concerned and uh, thank you for sharing a little bit of time with me today and a little bit of time with Mitch and learning about uh, some of the great work that he's doing all music on the show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton you can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com Because in Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation you can learn more about the foundation by searching at WPGFDN on all social media or by visiting our website at WPGFDN.org I'm Nolan Bicknell. You can find me at Nolan Bicknell on the social medias. And remember, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Bye-bye.